Thanks for listening to the Mornings with Carmen LaBerge podcast, made available thanks to support from listeners just like you. Helping you wake up, remembering this is our Father's world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. If we're gonna fly, we fly like eagles. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. Elizabeth Barrett Browning lived in the first half of the 19th century. Um, I actually had a teenager this past week, like, roll their eyes and, and say, that is so last century. And I thought, hmm, that's like the 1990s. But, you know, in their view, that's so last century. Like, that's supposed to be 100 years ago. Anyway, uh, I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Mornings with Carmen on the Faith Radio Network. Elizabeth Barrett Browning wrote the words, How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. Sonnet 43. You know, so, you know, little uh, little lit here this morning. How do I love thee? Let me count the ways. I love thee to the depth and breadth and height my soul can reach when feeling out of sight for the ends of being and ideal grace. I love thee to the level of every day's most quiet need by sun and candlelight. I love thee freely as men strive for right. I love thee purely as they turn from praise. I love thee with the passion put to use in my old griefs and my childhood faith. I love thee with a love I seemed to lose with my lost saints. I love thee with the breath, smiles, tears of all my life. And if God choose, I shall but love thee better after death. We are uh, counting all the ways that we are loved and loved this uh, month of February. And so we are seeking to love one another with the love with which God has loved us in Christ Jesus. And so when, when Jesus looks at you and begins to count the ways he loves you, Do you know what tops the list? When Jesus says, "Ah, I love you, let me count the ways. Do you know what's right at the top of his list? Jesus loves you with the same love and with the same measure of love the Father has for him. Think about that. Our Growing Your Faith verse of the day comes from John chapter 15, verses 9 and 10. I have loved you, Jesus says, even as the Father has loved me. Think about that. When Jesus starts to count the ways he loves you, right at the top of the list is, I I love you just like the Father loves me. Jesus goes on to say, remain in my love, like snuggle in, find your place right here. When you obey my commands... Then you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commands and remain in his love. Jesus, my friend, is the lover of your soul. Jesus is the lover of your soul. As all the, well, I don't say all the world, but all the nation goes wild over Valentine's Day, Jesus is the lover of your soul. Jesus is the one who acknowledged that there's no greater love than the love demonstrated in the sacrifice of oneself for another. And what greater love could Jesus have ever demonstrated than to give his life 
in your stead. What greater love? Jesus loves you with the kind of love that a parent has for a child, that an eldest brother has for his younger siblings, that a best friend has for his compadre. Jesus loves you as a groom loves a bride, and Jesus loves you in ways you cannot begin to fathom on this side of heaven. Jesus loves you with a love that begins before you were conceived and a love that never ends. It stretches literally from here to eternity, not just to the moon and back does Jesus love you, but to the edges of an ever-expanding universe. And as Elizabeth Browning hoped, a love that only gets better after death. So why do you avoid him? Why do you try to escape from his love? Why do you love lesser loves? Why do you doubt his love? Jesus loves me and Jesus loves you, and this I know, for the Bible tells us so. Little ones to him belong. Yes, we are weak, but he is strong, and his love is stronger than you could ever imagine. Yes, Jesus loves you. The Bible tells us so. John 15, 9 and 10. Jesus says, I have loved you, even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. Where in the Word are you today? I'm in John chapter 15. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge. This is Faith Radio. We're 75 years old this year. Woohoo! Uh, we're celebrating our birthday by giving away gifts because, you know, that's sort of how we roll. And so if you haven't done so already, you should go to MyFaithRadio.com and sign up um, for this really fun giveaway we're doing, which is the 75 birthday boxes. Yep. We're celebrating our birthday by sending you a birthday gift. Like, you know, our birthday gift, but you know, you, you get the gist here. Uh, it's got a book and a t-shirt and well, all kinds of, all kinds of fun Faith Radio jam. So celebrate and thank God with us by entering to win a Faith Radio birthday box and celebrate our 75 years at MyFaithRadio.com. One of my Faith Radio colleagues is Than Bennett, and he joins us next from The Equipped. We're going to survey some of the headline news of the day and bring the mind of Christ to bear, because that's what we do here on Mornings with Carmen. Really good timing on that little promo for The Equipped, because joining us now is Than Bennett from The Equipped. Hey, Ben. Hey, Than. Ben, whoever you are. (laughs) Than. Hey, I like Than Bennett. Do do people call you Ben from time to time because they like mash up your first and last name? Uh, not, not Ben so much, although I do have a nephew named Bennett who we call Ben. And so, you Mm. know, occasionally when we're together, we get a little mixed up, but you know, that's just Mm -hmm. life. Yeah. It's lots of N's. I would need lots of N's to spell your name in Scrabble and T's. Uh, I'm just saying uh, it would, it would be a lot. Yeah. And there's an A where most people put an I. So we just try to confuse people as much as we, much as we (laughs) can. Oh, because you'd be thin, Bennett? Because that'd be funny. Oh, no, no, at the end. Oh. Like Nathaniel is the full name, and it's usually I E L, oh. but mine's A E L because that's biblical. But my, my parents are just trying to confuse everybody. So we, uh, we have two grandbabies on the way. And so the name, the naming games, you know, have begun. And um, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that grandmas today generally end up with grandbabies whose names they can't spell. Like we have to study mm. them. I have to look it up every year. Ulrich and Decker and Coda so far. And I'm like, I don't. How do you spell that kid's name? Anyway, I love the so, kid, but you know, sometimes the name escapes me. 
So my only contribution to that would be just just keep in mind that th- this this child is going to have to spell their name over the phone for the rest of their life. So, you know, be be a little bit kind and gracious and think about that. But um, hey, hey, Carmen, can I make one comment on your opening monologue? Because fan, it's uh, a conversation like coffee. You can say anything you want. Well, I, I would just I was touched by it because. I uh, I keep coming back to this amazing realization that I am loved by a big mm. God. I, I've I've talked about this a lot over the air and with 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 friends and colleagues. You know, Carmen, we're we're not just known by God. We're not just accepted by God. We are deeply, deeply loved. We're actually desired. The, the, the Bible says mm. that we are desired by the God of the universe. And so as you were just going through that, I just, I just want to sit in that. I just want to rest in that. What, what an astounding and unbelievable blessing to be deeply loved and pursued and desired by a huge God. I just, I think it's a great place to start today. This is a good place to start. Um, I am, um, touched as well by your sweet reflection about your friend, Chad. Hmm. Um, so I'm going to give you the opportunity here to eulogize him, to, you know, speak that good word over, um, over the guy that was your roommate for five years before you were married and um, far too young from our perspective um, to, to die. So tell us about Chad. Well, the reason I wrote about Chad in the True this week, Carmen, is really uh, really doesn't have a whole lot to do with Chad as a person. It has to do with the person that lived inside Chad, and of course, that's mm-hmm. that's Jesus Christ. And um, I just I would start with with what Jesus described Himself as in Matthew eleven. He Jesus said that I am gentle and humble in heart, and. Uh, you know, gentleness is not a character trait that I think most of us immediately leap to as something that we admire in a person. But as as I listened to the service of my friend Chad, who, as you said, he was he was in my view far too young to die. He was fifty years old. One of my earliest friends, a roommate of mine before I was married. Uh, he was a big guy, Carmen, big guy. I someone said he was six five. I, I I would have sworn he was six seven. Either way, he was he was huge. He was a big, big guy. But as as people were remembering Chad in his in his service, he had had a a really, really brutal final year. Cancer is a is a brutal disease. And it's one that uh, sort of makes anger boil up in me if I if I sit in the disease itself. And it ravaged his body over the last year of his life. And he actually had to bury his mom about a month before he died. So just a cruel, cruel final season. But as people were remembering, Chad, what they were remembering, and this is 100% accurate, is that he was gentle. He was gentle until the end. And so it sort of made me grapple with, Carmen, what allows someone to be gentle amidst a world that is that cruel, right? Gentleness is a fruit of the Spirit, and Philippians says that our gentleness should be evident to all. But had Chad been drawing on the world around him, he would not have been gentle because his his world was anything but gentle. It was very, very toxic, especially at the end. Um, but he drew on something different. He drew on a, a source that lived in him, the source of Jesus Christ. And uh, I, I would just land here. I think um, 
there is so much around us that we can point at and say, that is, that is wrong. That is wrong. That is wrong. That is toxic. And those things are important to be aware of, Carmen. The, the Bible very clearly says we're to be watchmen on the wall. You hear it. You see it in Ezekiel. You see it in Habakkuk. You see it in the Gospels. But here's the thing. When, when the identification of all that is toxic around us becomes itself our identity, then I think we lose the capacity for gentleness. And so as I remember Chad, and as I wrote about Chad in the Equipped this week, uh, what my takeaway was, is I want to be gentle, not, not so much like Chad. I want to be gentle like Jesus. But what was evident in Chad's life is that he was gentle uh, like Jesus. And so I, w- I would just leave you with Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Carmen, last thing, there's an invitation for those of us who are already following Jesus to know the gentleness of Jesus. There's also an invitation for those out there who don't yet know Jesus to follow and to acquire the gentleness that was embodied in the life of Jesus Christ. And I would, I would extend that invitation to anyone listening. When you think about um, the reality of Chad's life now, um, what comes to mind? <laughs> Joy and wholeness. You know, um, I had a phone conversation just a couple of days uh, before Chad died and also just text messages up until the end. And uh, the, the the last exchanges were mutual expressions of love for each other. And I know that was true for many of his other friends as well. But in those conversations, Carmen, evidence of great, great struggle. I mean, he called it hunger pains, right? It was the cancer had filled his lungs. And so every breath was painful. Every breath was an effort. Uh, Carmen, that's gone. He, mm. he, is, he is whole. He is with Jesus. And I... I, I love life here. God, God has given me a mission. He has surrounded me by people that love him. He has given me people who need to know him that I am called to. I, I love life on earth. I love being an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Uh, as you have said in the past, all of me is gone and all of me is his. And yet, Carmen, I, I also long for the day. When I will be with Jesus face to face and Chad is there today, he is whole, he is not struggling, he is not suffering, his race has been run and he's heard those words, well done, good and faithful servant. I I miss him, Carmen, but at the same time, I envy him and I rejoice with him as well. And uh, feel confident like, right. I mean, I know mm. the first people, the first person we all want to see, you know, when we all get to heaven um, is Jesus. But we all, we each also have other people who were like, mm. I, I, gosh, I hope my seat is next to his or near his or across <laughs> the table from him. Or like, I hope I'm, I hope I'm in proximity to, to this person. And so um, I hope that um, when you arrive, um, you get to be in proximity to Chad because it's just obvious through the way that you have reflected upon his life um, here with us, but also in the way that you reflected upon his life in what you wrote uh, in the Equipped newsletter. It's just, just he's obviously a significant figure um, in terms of the way God used another person to open your heart and your mind and to bless you and to walk with you in this life. Um, so it's, it's so sweet. So thank you so Carmen. much. We're talking. Oh, go ahead. Let me just say real quickly, a friend texted me after he passed 
and said, I just want to remind you that, Than, Chad is now amongst the cloud of witnesses. I think it's a great, great way to think about that. What a, what a beautiful yeah. thing. Right? Like do like all of those dew drops gathered together. I mean, that's when, when you say cloud of witnesses, like I um, – I know a lot of people now in the cloud of witnesses and that list grows every single day. And um, it is, you know, I know there's people that are like, you know, they've got like the bluebird that they say bluebird prayers or they say cardinal prayers or say butterfly prayers or whatever. But, you know, clouds are ubiquitous. And so Hmm. when I see clouds and I can think of the great cloud of witnesses, it's a much um, more full and complete opportunity for me to thank God um, for those who have gone before me in the faith, upon whose shoulders you know I now stand. So, um, all right, we gotta we 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 gotta make a quick transition here. But we're talking with Than Bennett. He is host of the Equipped, which you can listen to here on the Faith Radio Network. The Equipped is also a newsletter, which you can find at theequippednewsletter dot com. We're going to continue our conversation here in just a moment. Uh, I think I'll lead off with a question like this: Child care, child care. Do you um do you know that you live in a child care desert? I just found out this week that my county is a child care desert. Um, what does it look like for people to be looking for child care and how are they paying for it? That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. What season of life are you in right now? Season of life. There are lots of ways to answer that question. So what season of life are you in right now? You may feel as if you are in a season of hopeful expectation or a season of desperation. You may feel as if you are in a dry season or a rainy season or maybe a season of abundance. Maybe this is a transitional season for you. What season of life are you in right now? Let me say first that you're not alone in whatever season you are in. And let me also say that God wants to meet you and be with you in that current season, even in that season of wilderness or dryness. And God wants to lead you through that current season to the next one. Discover what God is doing in your life now and where he's leading next at this year's Set Apart Conference for Women. It's March 8 and 9 at the University of Northwestern St. Paul. You can register today at Set Apart Conference. Dot com. That's setapartconference.com. Fifty-one percent of people in the United States live in a child care desert. If you and your church are looking for um, a place that God wants to be working in your community, um, where people have a real need and where you can have um, not only a temporal but an eternal impact, yeah. <laughs> Child care um, is the uh, is the leading edge. Than Bennett is here. We're talking with him about his equipped newsletter. So theequippednewsletter.com is where you can get connected. You can also listen to the equipped here on the Faith Radio Network Saturdays uh, at 4 p.m. Central. Um, Than, we're talking about child care today because um, in, in what has become uh, kind of unusual, Congress has taken bipartisan action to actually pro- provide some funding for families um, in the area of child care. So this is in your Money Matter segment. Um, bring us up to date. 
Yeah, you're right. This this story kind of stands out from recent stories, Carmen, because most of what's happening in Washington, D.C. is either uh, uh, stalled out or there's just no uh, bipartisan agreement. There was actually a bill that passed uh, last week with overwhelming bipartisan support on both sides of the aisle. It passed the House 357 to 70. There were multiple portions of the bill. Some of them dealt with tax relief for businesses that are investing in research and development. But the part that you're talking about was a was a, a an expansion and a little bit of a reform to what is known as the child tax credit. Now, uh, the, the child tax credit has had bipartisan support for a long, long time. It actually got a little bit controversial during COVID because it expanded uh, dramatically. And there are also some some changes to it that were, were not as uniformly supported, some refundability and some, some phase in and phase out adjustments. This What passed this week, Carmen, kind of takes the child tax credit back to where it was before the COVID region, but uh, uh, um, regimen, but makes it a little bit uh, more accessible to low-income families with large children. So I know all of that sounds very complex, but basically it's a, it's a tax credit for, uh, for, for Americans that do have tax liability, but they get a credit per child. It used to be just per family. And so if you had a lot of children, a low-income earner who was making, you know, maybe $20,000 a year would actually get less of the credit than a family that was making, you know, $250,000 a year with just a single child. And so, yeah, strong bipartisan support, 357 to 70. It now moves to the United States Senate and will have to be signed by the president to become law. But one of the things that we try to do, Carmen, is not just talk about the stories that you're going to see all throughout the headlines. We want to talk about the stories that might actually impact your life. Uh, it's very coming up very soon. And so you're, if you're a family with children and this becomes law, your tax burden will likely come down just a little bit. And so you talk about a child care desert. I think a lot of families would probably use that extra to um, cover that need. Yeah, if they can find it. So the other thing going on in America um, um, is just an absolute lack of places where um, where families can send their kids. So um, um, there's a piece in the Washington Post just yesterday. Uh, a child care center isn't open yet, and the wait list is already 1,500 names long. Um, so it, it, and, and that's true in my own community. Um, just it's, it's technically in the next County over, but it's at my exit on the interstate and, um, you know, behind, behind the gas station, this building was going up and I thought, oh, it looks like a little school, but I know it's not a school. Um, but you know, there's a playground and there's a, there's a fence and I'm like, mm-hmm. And before they opened, they were 300% enrolled, hmm. 300%. I'm like, okay, well, clearly we needed to build three of those at this exit, not one. Um, and so, you know, and, and yet there are churches in my area, you know, wringing their hands, wondering, you know, how they can serve the community. And I'm like, I mean, seriously, this seems like a so obvious thing yep. um, for us as Christians to engage in. We, you know, we talk about wanting to reach out to younger families, but all we do is, you know, a summer vacation Bible school for one week. I mean, that is, that's just not enough. Um, and this is a real need. So I don't know. I'm hoping to inspire somebody today to, to jump into the fray on that topic. Um, we got time to talk about. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. I, I'm sorry. I know I'm interrupting you a lot today, but let me let me underscore this, because our church has discovered that it, by providing that service, they 
walk the gospel out in a better way than they ever could with any other program. And so I would just say what you just described, it is an opportunity for every church in America to meet part of that need. Most of them have facilities. Most of them have people who would readily pass a background check and would love to serve and actually work and earn a paycheck in this way. There is great need in communities and there is capacity within the church and in the physical churches in our country to meet that need. I say we do it. Yeah, I say we do it too. So, um, yeah, let's jump into the fray on that. Um, Fan, give us one, give us uh, one minute here on this entry uh, of the Pineapple Express because I, I appreciated this part of this week's um, equipped. <laughs> the Pineapple Express, unfortunately, it's a it's a huge storm in California that is uh, dropping more than a foot of rain per day. It's now moving off, um, but it, it 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 lashed California for a number of days, and it obviously brings to mind the parable of Jesus, where wind and rain and flooding caused uh, the question of what are you rooting the foundation of your life upon? And so in the equip this week, just two takeaways on that. One, I want people to ask that question. Is the foundation of your life built on something that can withstand the figurative and literal storms that come? Uh, But number two, what are we as as the church, as followers of Jesus, is the equipped doing in practical ways to uh, to aid and to comfort those who are suffering from this storm. And so just asking people to think about uh, if they know people who live in the region that they should check on, or if there's a practical, tangible way that they might be uh, prompted to give to those who are suffering in California. That's so good. Um, Van, as always, thank you so much. Uh, the end of the Equipped Newsletter uh, is this week, as always, a focus on the beautiful And this week, it is a stunningly beautiful photograph taken by um, by Brooke Bennett. Um, You will see a a bowl of beautiful, fresh eggs laid by um, some chickens who we know are Easter eggers because those eggs are green and blue and some of them are speckled. But you also um, see, you know, some some hands that have clearly been working the soil and in an eggshell. Um, that is filled with rich soil, Um, Brooke is placing a seed. But the seed on good soil stands for those with a noble and a good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering, produce a crop. That's from Luke chapter 8, verse 15. And uh, and so I want to briefly do the Friday Farm Report here because I want to focus on the soil of our hearts. I don't know about you, but um, this is the time on our farm where we read and look at all of the seed catalogs and we determine what we're going to plant. And everybody gets to pick what they want to plant, but you also have to be willing to tend what you plant. And so over the course of time, everybody has learned uh, there's some things that you're willing to plant because it doesn't take much work. Um, God really does do all the work in relationship, let's say, to the sweet potato. <clears throat> but in some other things, you know, you've got to weed, you've got to tend, you've got to, um, you've got to uh, tie them up from time to time as they, as they, as their vines grow and they need more stable support. We also talk about the difference between heirloom seeds and other kinds of seeds that are advertised. So when we talk about the seed, um, the seed of the Word of God being planted deeply into our hearts and minds. I just want you to recognize that God is tilling your heart today and he's looking for good soil where he can plant the seed of his word because he wants an abundant harvest of righteousness and he wants to produce it in and through you. 
God wants to cultivate a harvest of righteousness in and through your life. And so I want to invite you to allow God to till the soil of your heart, to remove the rocks, um, to, uh, to enrich the soil, and to plant the seed of, of his word deeply within you. Let him water it with the living water. Let him shine the light of Christ upon you and let him give you growth so that he can cultivate a harvest of righteousness to his own glory. That's the Friday Farm Report. Um, It's more about us than about what's going on outside. It's more about what's going on on the inside. But, you know, some days that's good. Check out the Equipped Newsletter, theequippednewsletter.com. Scroll down to the bottom and um, consider this incredibly beautiful image by Brooke Bennett of the soil and the seed. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. We'll be right back. Happy birthday to Meta. Or, you know, they're only 20 and we're 75. So happy birthday to Faith Radio. Chris Martin is joining us now. He is the creative director at Moody Publishing. He's a social media consultant, and he's here today to sing happy birthday. No, not really. Hey, good morning, Chris. Good morning. How are you? (laughs) Ah, Okay, we're making a big fuss over the fact that Facebook is 20 and Faith Radio is 75. So I just want to say we have a little bit on them. Sure, sure. Yeah, that that checks out. And I think uh, I think you should you should be proud of that. Um, the shaping power of Facebook or now Meta, um, I think I want to talk about, you know, 20 years ago, none of us would have even, we couldn't have conceived of because it didn't exist. We couldn't have imagined the social internet and its power in our lives. Um, and I want to give you the opportunity to talk about the shaping power of not just Meta or Facebook, but um, but the social internet you know, as it has morphed and grown and multiplied in these 20 years. Yeah, I think, you know, marking 20 years of Facebook is significant, even if we're not sending birthday cards or singing happy birthday, um, because it really is sort of the the beginning of the world as we know it now, you know, um, even though social media existed before Facebook in the form of MySpace or Friendster or other similar small social media enterprises. Facebook is really what sent social media to the stratosphere and and really made it culturally relevant. And though it might feel weird for anyone listening who who can remember 20 years ago, um, while Facebook's 20 years old, meaning it was launched in 20, or, yeah, 2004, um, most of us didn't get on Facebook until two years later, two and a half years later in September of 2006, when the requirement of having a .edu email address was was taken away. So for, for many of us, 20 years of Facebook is really in about two years. Um, but I think, you know, marking the the 20th birthday of Facebook is important just to kind of think back on, first of all, it's hard for me to imagine that was 20 years ago. Right. Um, Cause that 
20 years ago was 1980. I don't know what anyone else is thinking, but that was 1980, not 2004. Um, but so, okay. So that takes you to my experience with a teenager who rolled their eyes, which doesn't happen to me a lot. And, um, and they said, that's so last, last century. <laughs> right. Right. Exactly. And I thought, oh, oh, most of my life was in the last century. Okay. Go ahead. Right. Carry and on. so when, when, uh, you know, and, and the other thing too is like the, the news feed as we know it today, because it's, it's hard for a lot of folks to believe probably because so many of us didn't use Facebook in this state. There was a time when Facebook was just your profiles, right? Where you wrote on people's walls as a means of messaging back and forth. I can't tell you the last time I heard anybody refer to writing on someone's wall on Facebook. Frankly, I don't even know if it's still possible to do that. But there didn't used to be a news feed. It was in it was on September 5th, 2006 that Facebook created the news feed, the at the endless scroll where where most of us, you know, if we're on Facebook are spending the majority of our time. That was even just 2 years later, only a few weeks before Facebook was open kind of to the public. And so and that, frankly, is like the biggest lasting impact on a foundational level that Facebook has had on social media and on our lives. And that kind of gets to your next question of like, I think when Facebook, two years after it was created in September 2006, created the algorithmic news feed that lives at the center of the app, um, that was kind of the blueprint is the blueprint for how virtually every other social media platform exists today. Instagram, which now Facebook owns, but at first they didn't has, has been an algorithmic newsfeed. Um, Twitter didn't used to be an algorithmic newsfeed, but now is it's the best way for a social media platform to keep your eyes on the platforms and to make money. And I think that's where getting to your direct question of sort of the, the shaping power of social media I think, and I know I've said this on the program before, but it's worth repeating. Um, I think the thing that's important for us to recognize when we look at these algorithms, often they're also called recommendation engines. They're lines of code that are designed to recommend content that it thinks we would find interesting. When we think about these things and the reason they're so powerful and so good at keeping our eyes is because these platforms are designed to deliver us more deeply into our desires, not deliver us from our desires. And if you have, if you have a view of humanity that is generally positive, you don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. But if you have perhaps a bit more of a biblical view of humanity that foundationally we're all broken and sinful, though redeemed as we trust Jesus, um, you recognize that being delivered more deeply into our desires isn't good, even if we even if we do claim the name of Jesus, because we often, as Paul says, have desires for and want things that we shouldn't want. And so I think as we engage with social media and the, sort of the legacy that Facebook created 20 years ago and that we still grapple with today is that these platforms aren't inherently designed for our good as much as they are designed for our entertainment um, and to amplify our desires. And I think you know, the answer isn't always to totally, you know, delete our accounts and delete the apps from our phones. I, I don't advocate for that explicitly, but I think that what's important for us to know is that we have to kind of look out for ourselves as we use these apps um, 
these social media platforms aren't going, they don't care about us and our good and our mental state or our spiritual state. Um, we, we have to look out for that and, um, and not expect the platforms to care about us as much as we care. We should care about our own, our own good. Um, my Facebook feed then is like this ever expanding buffet of things that I have indicated I I want to consume. Um, and it's going to deliver more and more varieties um, of that. And each and every one of those is going to take me deeper and deeper into um, the consumption of visual material that... Um, that fills me in ways that are, for the most part, very unhealthy. <clears throat> and so I want you to, to think about that as you think about what you see in your social media feed. Whatever platform you're on, what is it delivering to you in that sort of ever-expanding buffet? It knows what you want, and that's what it is piling on more and more and more. Um, so, um, Chris... Talk with us um, maybe about how we um, how we break away. Like, how do you know when it's time to get off of a particular social media platform? Um, not not just because, you know, it, it's no longer serving you in terms of growing your own platform or whatever. But like, how do how do you know when it's time to break up with Facebook or some other social media platform? Is there some sort of diagnostic tool? That's a great question. Um, I think. You know, and, and I think the answer may differ from person to person, but I think there's probably sort of a line that would probably like apply to most people. So what I think is important to acknowledge is that this just requires a tremendous amount of self-awareness and or significant help and accountability from others. Um, and so I, let me just speak from my experience. So I, um, a few months ago, deleted my Twitter account. Um and I still engage Twitter on like an anonymous Twitter account for some projects that I work on, but I'm not, you know, I'm not being Chris on Twitter. I'm not tweeting. Um, I'm not uh, engaging with whatever controversial or hot topic things are going on like I have for over a decade or I had for over a decade. And the reason I deleted Twitter, um, deleted my Twitter account and, and don't want to engage there anymore um, is because I was finding that the more I used Twitter, the worse my mental health got. And I don't mean I got like depressed or I was getting anxious, but I was just like, like frustrated, annoyed. Like, of course, that person is saying that thing about that issue or, oh, here comes this person that comments on everything. Like if, if a world event happened and this person didn't comment, it did it really happen? Like, like there's just so, there was so much just like negativity just because of the people I, part of it's my fault, just the number of like people I followed over the years that um, in, in evangelicalism uh, because evangelicals, if they're good at anything, they're good at taking each other out by the kneecaps on Twitter. Yeah, so, like, so um, that would so, be my so, observation, Chris. Yeah, I don't, I don't, yeah. I don't like to watch people fight with each other. And I exactly. certainly don't want people who, um, who I have respect for at some level, I certainly don't want to watch them um, bite and fight with each other. And so, yeah. um, so that was one of my, say, that was like, that was yeah. an indicator for me for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So how are you evaluating 
where to engage on social media. Um, do you have a Facebook account? Um, do you do you engage on some other social media um, platform? Are you in, you know, sort of a private space like Discord? Um, I want to know. I want to know where you are in terms of social media and social media engagement. So let me know on the text line, 877-933-2484. You know, just, you could just type one word, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Um, I obviously don't know them all. Discord, I'm sure we have quite a list. Twitter, like what, where is it for you? 877-933-2484. We're going to continue our conversation with Chris Martin here in just a moment, but I'm going to ask him to revisit something that he wrote in his book, um, The Wolf in Their Pockets, um, because I think we need help um, becoming more human again. And that's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. 150 million people, 150 million people actively use one particular app every month in the United States of America. I want that to be the Faith Radio app. How about you? If you're wondering how you could be encouraged in your faith at any time, anywhere, Well, I got good news for you. There's literally an app for that. You can listen to Faith Radio live, any show on demand, no matter where you are at any time of the day or night. Download the free Faith Radio app right now. It's super easy. Just text the word app to 877-933-2484 and click the link. Let's connect faith to life. All right, somebody in the 414 saying, well, I never had a Facebook account, but I do follow a few friends on Instagram. Derek says uh, Facebook and YouTube shorts. Andrew, only Facebook. David, only Snapchat. And Sarah, um, LinkedIn. So Sarah, I just uh, I just sent you a connection on LinkedIn. LinkedIn has probably become my favorite. Um, Jan says social media, I just don't do it. I found it too addictive. Um, and another friend says, I gave up Facebook three days ago and I've been sleeping like a baby ever since. <laughs> so I do think I do think there's a cleansing of the palate going on in terms of social media. Um, Chris Martin wrote has written a couple of books. The first is Terms of Service. The second one is The Wolf in Their Pockets, 13 Ways the Social Internet Threatens the People You Lead. Um, if you have kids, if you are engaged in ministry at any level, um, this is a book that you need And at the very end, um, Chris talks about one of my favorite authors of all time, Eugene Peterson. So, um, Chris, take us into just the last couple of pages. It's the epilogue of The Wolf in Their Pockets, um, because I really really want you to invite us into thinking about how, how Christ is in us and how we grow in Christ and how that is then multiplied in other people. Yeah. So, you know, after I spend virtually the entire book in The Wolf in Their Pockets, um, outlining some of the ways that social media sort of can poison us and and the people we lead and care about. Because really, The Wolf in Their Pockets is honestly kind of a leadership or discipleship book in the age of, like leading or discipling in the age of social media is really what that book is like. And so at the end, realizing that my readers may be a bit discouraged just because there's a lot of uh, hard, hard realities to grapple with throughout the book. I just wanted to end with like a little epilogue that said, uh, Hey, you know, you can't do it and that's okay. Um, And I, I draw on, on Eugene Peterson here. I'm going to read part of his quote. Um, He says this in, uh, I think at the end of, 
along obedience in the same direction. He says this, and, it, and he's talking about being a pastor, but I think this applies to being a pastor or, or frankly, being a parent or, or anything else. He writes, the second conviction was that my primary pastoral work had to do with scripture and prayer. I was neither capable nor competent to form Christ in another person, to shape a life of discipleship in a man, woman, or child. That is supernatural work, and I am not supernatural. Mine was the more modest work of scripture and prayer, helping people listen to God, speak to them to, from the scriptures, and, to, and then joining them in answering God personally and honestly as we could in lives of prayer. This turned out to be slow work. From time to time, impatient with the slowness, I would try out ways of going about my work that promised quicker results. But after a while, it always seemed to be more like meddling in these people's lives rather than helping them attend to God. And I think, you know, as you consider anyone listening considers your relationship with social media, and perhaps you recognize that it's a bit out of control or a bit unhealthy, but you maybe feel a little powerless. Or if you think about your children or people in your small group, or if you serve in a student ministry, you know, students in your student ministry, and you can think of people who maybe are sort of beholden to social media. Going back to one of your previous questions, how do you know when it's a good time to step away? I think if you find yourself using social media, despite knowing how it makes you feel, that's kind of a sure sign of maybe having an addiction issue. Just like if you, you know, if you were drinking alcohol and you're like, you couldn't stop yourself, even though you know how it makes you feel afterward. I think there's a similar situation that can happen with social media. So if you find yourself in, you know, feeling those sorts of things, within your own heart or, or you're recognizing it among people that you care for. I think it's important to do what you can and help to support others and, and disciple and lead others out of harmful, destructive relationships with social media or frankly, any other substance. Um, but I think it's also important for us to take heart in what might sound like a sad reality, which is that you cannot do it on your own. You are not a supernatural person. However, if you're in Christ, you do have the supernatural Holy Spirit in you. And I think it's it's important to um, not rely on your own grit and your own righteousness or determination to try to improve your relationship with social media or, or the relationship with social media that someone you love uh, has that might be a bit destructive. And I think it's important to um, not grieve over the fact that you can't do it on your own. Um, or deny that you can't do it on your own, but to kind of lean into that and be comforted by that and to lean on not only the spirit in you, um, but also others in our lives that can help us walk this path and, and lead others more effectively. Um, I think I think it's really important just in our tendency as Americans, especially Americans like in the 21st century, to kind of view so much of life as a solo sport and something that we do by ourselves um, or even just as a nuclear family um, that there's, there is really so much of life that we can't do by ourselves and we'll find ourselves frustrated, depressed, um, helpless if we don't rely on other people. And so that's what I kind of want to communicate in this final chapter is that it's our weakness and God's strength. And frankly, the strength of God's whole family that can help mm -hmm. us, wrestle and grapple with our relationship with social media. That's so good. Um, Chris, as always, thank you so much. Um, it's slow work. It may feel like small work. It's personal work. It's relational work. It's the Great Commission. 
It's deep work. It's the work of discipleship. It's supernatural work. It's God's work. It's God's work being accomplished in, through, and among us. It's eternal work. It's accomplished moment by moment and step by step, word by word, day by day. Take a deep breath and recognize you are not alone. God is with you and God is for you. God's people are with you and for you. Um, And there is work to be done in us by the power of the Holy Spirit and through us by the power of the Holy Spirit as we walk together step by step in, um, in this thing called life. So if it feels like slow work today, that's okay. And if it feels like small work today, that's okay too. God is doing a great work in you, a work only he can accomplish. It's a personal work, and it happens in a living relationship with God through Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I hope you are growing in your walk of faith today. Um, Thank you for taking these steps with me during um, this time together. We uh, we appreciate uh, Chris and his fellowship in the gospel, his partnership in the gospel um, for so many years. Are you doing... um, some deep work today? Is God doing some deep work in you? Who are you walking with in the slow, supernatural, spiritual work of redemption in the world today? So glad to be taking this journey with you um, here at Faith Radio. This is Mornings with Carmen. I'm Carmen LeBurge, and we've got another hour up together next. Thanks for listening to Mornings with Carmen LeBurge. Podcasts like this are available because of your support. If it's important to you to hear things that encourage your faith, click the link in the show notes to give now. And thanks.